My name is Greg Kodrowski, and this is my podcast, Theology 101. I like to study the Bible, and I don't think the Bible is really that difficult to understand. For the most part, it's really pretty simple, and simple is better. So if you're like me, and you want to know more about the Bible, or if you just want to hear more about the Bible, stick around. And if you want to know more about me or check out my pedigree, Google me or visit my website, theology101.net. We're talking about a biblical philosophy of edification. I want to grow in Christ. I want to be edified. I want to grow in spiritual maturity. I want to be more like Christ. Well, how does that happen? We're seeing that there are means and goals in this process of edification, just like there were means and goals in the process of evangelism. Now, the means is what we need to kind of keep in mind. They're the components of this process that God takes us through to either save us or or to sanctify us, to make us grow in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we started... Um, last week, talking about uh, the means, and we got through means number one, identify with Christ. And uh, next episode, we'll continue. We're going to finish up the means today. And the next episode, we're going to pick it up with the goals of edification, because there's some things God expects us to do, and God expects us to do them before he gives the increase. So if we're not willing to make an effort to reach the goals, we're not going to see the growth in Jesus Christ like we would desire. So we're, we're talking about means and goals. That's our biblical philosophy of discipleship, or biblical philosophy of edification. How does that process take place? How does edification take place? We started, like I said last week, talking about identifying with Christ, and we took a good portion of our time to talk about that. I did that on purpose because, number one, it's important. It's the first means. It's where we start, and it's where we start right after conversion, right after we're saved, and it's where we start. Look, it's where we start every day. I'm telling you, every day, it's a fight to identify with Christ and not be pulled down river by the current of this world, okay? Identify with Christ. Identify with Christ. Spend time in your Bible. Read your Bible. Identify with Christ. Now, we're going to continue with that idea. Second means is a little bit easier to understand. Um, Knowledge of the Bible. We need to learn the Bible. You cannot grow the way God wants you to grow in Jesus Christ until you know your Bible, or at least something about your Bible. Now, if you remember Luke 6, uh, Luke 6.30, I'm sorry, Luke 6.40, that's uh, one of our key passages about discipleship. It talks about the disciple becoming, becoming as his master. I want to point one thing out, Luke 6.40. Um, it says, the disciple is not above his master, but everyone that is perfect shall be as his master. Note that becoming as the master in discipleship, and the master obviously is Jesus Christ, when we become as the master, we become perfect. Okay? Everyone that is perfect shall be as his master. To be as the master is, to be conformed to the image of Christ, is to be perfect, to be as the perfect man. And that's what we see in Ephesians. Okay, Ephesians, back over to the epistles that Paul wrote, you know, the apostle to the Gentiles, our apostle giving us our doctrine, Ephesians 
4:11 to 13, it says, And he gave, Christ gave, some apostles, we call them missionaries today, some prophets, we call them preachers today, some evangelists and some pastors and teachers, for the perfecting of the saints. See, we, we have the leadership of the local church to perfect the saints. And he goes on, and he says, For the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till or until we all come in the knowledge of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man under the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And so the process of edification, the process that we're talking here, talking about here of discipleship, of becoming like the Master, being conformed to the image of Christ, is a process, process of perfection. Okay? We need to understand that because the Bible says that if we don't learn the Bible, we will never be perfected. Colossians 1, and 28, it's a passage we read in our last episode, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, whom we preach, warning every man, teaching every man in all wisdom, that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. So without the preaching, without the warning, without the teaching and all wisdom, without the full counsel of God, we're not going to be presented perfect in Jesus Christ. We need the Word of God. We need the Scripture. We need the teaching of the Scripture. We need the preaching, the warning, the teaching of Scripture. Okay, so, uh, one more passage, very well known, 2 Timothy um, 3.16 and 17. Talks about all Scripture is inspired. 2 Timothy 3.16. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. And so if we want to be perfect, perfected, made like the perfect man, Jesus Christ, if we want to be perfect as his disciples, becoming as the master and conformed to the image of Christ, we need the teaching of Scripture. We need to grow in our knowledge of the content of the Bible. Does that make sense? Because look, look, if we want to live in a way that is pleasing to God, or if we want to live in a way that glorifies God, well, then it stands to reason that we need to know what it is that pleases Him and glorifies Him. Now, where are we going to find that kind of knowledge? Where are we going to learn about what pleases God? Where are we going to learn about what glorifies God if it's not in the Word of God? It's the Bible. It's Scripture, okay? And even, even more so, if, if, if we got that straight in our head, if we want to lead somebody to Christ, what are we going to tell them? Where are you going to get the content of your conversation with a lost person to tell them how to be saved, how to avoid hell and become a child of God, to be accepted in the beloved, where are you going to find that information? Okay, it's the Bible. If you want to help another believer grow in the Lord Jesus Christ, where are you going to find what that believer needs to grow in the Lord Jesus Christ? 
2 Timothy 3.15, from a child, Timothy, thou hast known the holy scriptures which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. And he goes on and says, all scripture is given by inspiration is profitable for doctrine. You know, this, this process that we're talking about, about growing in Jesus Christ, it requires the teaching of the scripture. It requires that we learn doctrine. And I know, I know, just like dispensation, that word doctrine is a bad word today in the modern church. The modern church is not interested in doctrine. Oh, doctrine's dry. I've even had people tell me, oh, the letter killeth, but the Spirit giveth life. Doctrine is dead. Folks, doctrine's not dead. Doctrine is where life comes from. You can't grow in Jesus Christ. You can't experience life without doctrine. You can't be saved without doctrine. If you say you need Jesus Christ in your life, why did you say that? You say, well, well, so because you're going to die and go to hell. Why did you say that? Well, because that's the truth. Well, why did you say that? Where are you getting your truth? Well, it comes from the Bible. Well, that's doctrine. You see, doctrine killeth, right? The Spirit giveth life. You see how silly it is to say stuff like that? When we go up and we go evangelize somebody, I'm telling you, we talk to them about the content of the Bible. We give them Bible doctrine on salvation. Soteriology. You don't have to call it that, obviously, but that's what you're giving them. It's doctrine. And when you get a new believer and you begin to help that believer grow in Jesus Christ, you know what you're doing? You're teaching them the ways of Christ. You're teaching them doctrine. Folks, doctrine. Doctrine is important. The content of the Bible is important. It's important that we not be ignorant of the content of Scripture. And I guess this is one of those, yeah, it is. It's one of those things that kind of goes up my nose with the modern church. You know, we have so focused on on emotional manipulation, these techniques that we, gimmicks that we have to manipulate people into coming back to our services. You know, we have a coffee shop, so so they don't go to Starbucks. And then, you know, we, we re- replace the pews with theater seats, you know, so that they can bring their drinks in and, and, and set their drinks in those little cup holders. And then, you know, they don't like to, to actually get doctrine from expository preaching. So what do we do? We give them a narrative um preaching, which is basically telling them stories and interweaving the teaching of the Bible into the story. Why? Because we want to tickle their ears with entertainment. And, and, and the whole thing with the music and the, the rock bands and dimming the lights and putting on a laser show and fog machines and dancing girls on the stage. I mean, seriously, folks, we need Bible. Folks, I'm serious. Look, if you just think about this, this is not that difficult. You say, what's God's will for my life? You know where you're going to find God's will for your life? Yeah, in the Bible. So unless you know the content of the Bible, you're lost. Well, you say, well, I want to please God. Well, where are you going to learn about what it means to please God? In the Bible. You have to learn the Bible. You say, well, I want to I wanna live in a way that, that, that when I get to the judgment seat of Christ, there's reward that will reflect glory for my Lord Jesus Christ. You know what? How, how do you know how you're supposed to live apart from what the Bible says? God uses Bible knowledge to edify us. Doctrine. You have to know the content of the Bible.
Knowing the content of the Bible is a lifelong process. You're not going to get it one time through. You know, you could say, well, I'm going to read the Bible in 30 days, and then I'm done. I'm going to I'm going to go do something else. I got it. I've heard people say, you know, I don't like to go to that church because they're all about doctrine. And, you know, I've heard that before, so I got it. Are you serious? Number one, your mind is probably like mine. It's made of Teflon. Nothing sticks. So you need to be reminded, you know, like God gave Israel the, the, the Sabbath day to remind them, to remind them to remember. Remember the Sabbath day, right? Remember the law. Remember to do this. Remember. And every time we go in and we hear doctrine, it's good for us. We need that. We need to remember. But also, I mean, seriously, do you think you could ever learn the content of the Bible? Do you think you could ever learn the whole, the doctrine that's contained in the Bible? No. And yet, we, we belittle the, the, the study of Scripture. We, we tell people, oh, you know, you probably should stop learning so much about the Bible until you really apply what you know about the Bible. That, that has to be one of the most ridiculous statements I think I've ever heard. Now, we're going to talk about obeying the Bible here in just about 30 seconds, but I want to say one thing is that your Bible knowledge will always be out in front of your application of what you know. Why? Because then God will take that extra knowledge that you have, and he'll say, hey, you ain't doing that. And then you'll feel guilty about it, repent, and start doing that. But if you never knew it before, you'd never do it. And so your knowledge is always out in front of your application. Knowledge of the Bible always precedes obedience to the Bible, and we have to start here. Identify with Christ. I'm a Christian, and that means I need to know what my Master desires of me and requires of me. We should never talk bad about reading the Bible and studying the Bible. We should never talk negatively about learning more Bible. We should never stop growing in our knowledge of the Scripture. We should always be reading the Bible, studying the Bible, reading books about the Bible, going to church where the Bible is preached and taught so that we can learn the Bible continually. I cannot stress this enough. Folks, so many errors, so many problems exist in the ch- in churches today and in lives of believers because churches and pastors are not teaching the Bible. We've got Christians, or at least believers who think they're Christians, out in the workplace dropping F-bombs and talking about fecal material here and fecal material there and GD this and GD that. Why? Because they've never been taught enough doctrine in their church to know that that is not acceptable to their Lord. It's wrong. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. We got Christians living together. We've got Christians, I mean, seriously, we've got Christians that read the Old Testament and don't understand even the simplest things because nobody's taught them context. Nobody's showed them how the Bible fits together. And pastor, shame on you if that's you. Oh, I preach 
the narrative style of, of the Bible. Yeah, you tell stories that tickle people's ears because you want them to come back because you think having a full church is a sign of your success before the Lord. And it's not. Success is gauged by your faithfulness to Scripture, doing what the Lord said. Folks, we need to grow in the knowledge of the Bible. And then we need to obey the Bible. Go back to 2 Timothy 3.16 and 17. Doctrine comes first. Doctrine has to come first. Doctrine has to be the mainstay. It has to be the, the, the main meal that we give people so that, the, that God can use that doctrine to teach them the right way they should be living. But it's not all about doctrine. The doctrine has to be applied. And that's why Paul says all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. Let me see if I can remember this. Um, Alan Shelby said this, and I know he was probably quoting somebody, but you've got doctrine, reproof, correction, and instruction in righteousness. Doctrine is what's right. Reproof is what's wrong. Correction is how to get it right. And then the instruction is in righteousness is how to keep it right. So what's right, what's wrong, how to get it right, and how to keep it right. Doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness. And so as we learn the Bible, God puts his fingers on areas of our life that we need to, to kind of get in the line in alignment with, with what the Bible says. So we learn the Bible, we do what it tells us. That's, look, the podcast, I called it Theology 101. I don't think it's that difficult. I really don't. Learn the Bible and do what it tells you. Okay, that, that, that's, that's what being a disciple means. That's how we grow in Christ. Learn the Bible, do what it tells you. Learn the Bible, do what it tells you. Learn the Bible, that's doctrine. Do what it tells you because it's going to give you some reproof and point out what's wrong in your life, and then it's going to correct you and show you how to get it right. Stop doing this, start doing that. And then it's going to instruct you in, instruct you in righteousness to show you how to keep it right. And so, yeah, we need to learn the Bible. Folks, we need to learn as much Bible as we can for as long as we can, but we also need to submit ourselves to it. We need to understand that, that the Bible is God's self-declaration. Uh, he wrote it in plain language so that we could understand it. And it's His Word. It comes to us authoritatively. We don't sit above the Bible the Bible is above us. We don't correct the Scripture. The Scripture corrects us. So as I learn the Bible, I have an attitude of submission, of obedience. I have a humble attitude that, you know, if I don't understand the passage, I'm going to keep on reading, because I'm going to understand that passage sooner or later by comparing Scripture with Scripture, or by the illumination of the Spirit, or by the teaching of my pastor. I'll get something somewhere that's going to key me into that. But I need to learn the Bible and do what the Bible tells me. This is what, uh, back in the book of Luke, Luke 6, 46, um, where we talk about hearing the Word and doing the Word. Um, Luke 6, 46 to 49, Jesus Christ says, He says, And why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? That'd be a good question for most people who attend modern churches today. You say you're a Christian a follower of Jesus Christ, but you talk like the world, act like the world, you're, you live for the world, you have no interest in the Bible, no interest in prayer, no interest in the preaching of the gospel. You say, Lord, Lord, but you don't do what the Lord says. Verse 47, Luke 6, 47, Whosoever cometh to me, and heareth my sayings, and doeth them, 
I will show you to whom he is like. He is like a man which built a house and dig deep and laid the foundation on a rock. And when the flood arose and the stream uh, beat vehemently upon that house and could not shake it, for it was founded upon a rock. But he that heareth and doeth not is like a man that without a foundation built a house upon the earth against which the stream did beat vehemently and immediately it fell and the ruin of that house was great. So we need to hear the word, we need to learn the word, but then we need to do it. We need to be doers of the word. We need to obey what God is teaching us through the doctrine of the content of the Scripture. Okay, now remember the Corinthians. You know, I mentioned the Corinthians before um, in our last episode, you know, verse uh, chapter 3 of, of 1 Corinthians, where it talks about, you know, carnal Christians, carnal Corinthians. He calls them brothers. Uh, brethren, I could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal. He calls him carnal. And he says in verse 3, 1 Corinthians 3, 3, For ye are yet carnal, for whereas there is among you envying strife and divisions, are ye not carnal and walk as men? Well, how do you stop walking as a man, as a natural man? How do you stop walking in the flesh? How do you start walking with the Lord? Learn the Bible and do what it tells you. Okay, learn the Bible and do what it tells you. Now, in, in these types of conversations, 1 Corinthians 8, 1 always pops up. Okay, everybody says, well, you know, knowledge puffeth up, but charity edifies. So we don't need more knowledge, we need more charity. Yeah, thank you for that. And um, let's just move on with what the Bible says. Uh, Bible says... Now, as touching things offered unto idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffeth up, but charity edifieth. Knowledge puffeth up when? When it's only knowledge. Knowledge coupled with charity, charity, which is love in action, is what edifies. So if you want edification in your life, if you want to be edified, if you want to edify other believers— you need the knowledge of God. God perfects us through the Scripture. You have to know that book. But then we need to love with that book. Love in action. To love God means to obey God, to submit to Him and do what He says because God knows best. And then we love our neighbor by meeting our neighbor's greatest needs. And the greatest needs our neighbor has, evangelism for salvation, edification for sanctification. We invest the scripture in other people. So it's not one or the other. It's not knowledge puffeth up, so we shouldn't have any more knowledge, but charity edifies, so we just need to feed the poor, give out water bottles during 5K races. I mean, seriously, we need to know God to make him known. And we need to have the knowledge of God coupled with our charity. Because knowledge without charity puffeth up. Charity without knowledge is vain. Vanity, vanity under the sun. Okay? So spiritual maturity. <clears throat> 2 Timothy 2.15. Oh, actually, let's go back over to, to Hebrews. 2 Timothy 2.15, where it talks about rightly dividing the word. That's one of those passages that tells us, you know, how we can be uh, uh, pleasing to God, be pleasing to God. But I want to look at Hebrews 5, 11 to 14 again. 
Hebrews 5.11-14, this kind of hits the, hits the nail on the head. 5.11-14, Paul says, um, Of whom we have many things to say, and hard to be uttered, seeing ye are dull of hearing. So he kind of accuses them of being dull of hearing, not wanting to hear what he has to say. For when the time, for when, for the time ye ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. For every one that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But, now listen, strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age. They're mature, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. If we want to get to full age, if we want to reach maturity in Christ, it will be by reason of use. Okay? We learn the Bible, but then we need to put that to use. We need to obey what we're learning. It's, it's what we've said all along. Learn the Bible and do what it tells you. Okay? Learn the Bible, do what it tells you. And God will use our knowledge of Scripture and our obedience to that knowledge to conform us to the image of Christ. These are the means by which God perfects us. We identify with Christ. We learn the Bible to grow in our knowledge of the Bible. We obey the Bible. And then, means number four, here's another biggie. We're going to spend a little bit more time on this one than than the last two. Suffering. Yes, I said that. Suffering. Um, You're going to have to put up with some suffering in your life if you want to grow in Jesus Christ. I'm sorry. That's not my design, and that's certainly not my idea, okay? Uh, My idea would be certainly microwave Christianity. Um, Love microwave popcorn. You put the bag in the popcorn or in the microwave. You hit, uh, hit the button. And boy, two minutes later, you got a full bag of popcorn. If I could just shove myself in the uh, Christian maturity microwave, hit a button, and have me pop out, fully conform to the image of Christ, hey, I'm all for that, okay? But again, we're not Calvinists, so we don't believe in that magical, mystical, God does everything, and, and, and we're just a bunch of puppets. So, away we go with suffering, we're not going to like it, even though we don't like it, and I know we, we complain about it a lot. Um, <clears throat> God has established suffering as one of the means by which he makes us grow in Christ. Suffering is necessary to grow in Christ. Suffering is necessary in the process of edification. I'm going to tie a couple of passages together, okay? And these are key passages in this, in this concept. First, 2 Corinthians 4, 16 and 17. 2 Corinthians 4, 16 and 17. The Bible says, For which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction, there's your suffering, for our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. What I want you to see here, very important, is that the affliction we suffer in this life, Paul says it's light affliction because compared to hell, it's, 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 it's not bad, okay? It's light affliction. And he says, which is but for a moment, because our life in light of eternity 
is just a moment of time, okay? But Paul says that this affliction, this suffering that, that, that we endure, worketh for us. Now pay attention to that. Verse 17, affliction works in us to produce something. It worketh for us. Affliction does something for us. It says it worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. So the suffering that we go through in this life is beneficial. It produces a benefit in us. It produces glory. Affliction, the light affliction, worketh for us glory, a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. So what's that glory? You say, well, well, so if I go through this affliction, then I'm going to have more glory. So I'm going to walk around like a light bulb shining. The Shekinah glory of God, like Moses when he came down from the mountain had to put a veil over his face. No, no. Compare Scripture with Scripture. Same book, 2 Corinthians 3, 17 and 18. 3, 17 and 18. Look what the Bible says. And if you've got, look, if you've got one of these, one of the Bibles, I've got a Schofield right here. If you could box or circle one passage, glory, up in verse 17 and connect it with the glory down here in verse uh, 18 of chapter 3, you ought to do that because it says, 2 Corinthians 3, 17, Now the Lord is that Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with open face beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of of the Lord. Oh, did you get that? Did you get that? Seriously, check out verse 18. We are changed into the same image. You could box that in and put in the margin of your Bible, Luke 6.40, Romans 8.29, Romans 12.1 and 2. Why? Because this is the transformation process of being conformed to the image of Christ and made like the perfect man. See that? So we're changed into the same image, the image of the Lord. We're changed, we're, we're transformed, we're conformed to his image. And then it says, look, 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 from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. Now, if you compare that with 417, where it says our light affliction worketh in us a far more exceeding eternal weight of glory, you'll see that what God is teaching us here is that the Holy Spirit will take the afflictions that we are suffering in this world, and He will use those to change us little by little from glory to glory into the image of our Lord. That's what this passage teaches, that the affliction is necessary because without the suffering of the affliction in this world, we will never be conformed to the image of Christ because God uses this affliction to change us into the image from glory to glory, a little bit at a time. And one of the principal means by which he does that is suffering. So without the light affliction of this life, the suffering that we experiment, that we go through in this world, in our families, in our jobs, in the streets, 
even with our own emotional states, will never grow in Jesus Christ. This process of edification, this process of growing in spiritual maturity, it requires affliction. It requires difficulty. To be conformed to the image of Christ, we have to go through that. We have to participate with the Lord Jesus Christ in what he suffered. Because look, if Jesus Christ learned through suffering, how are we to say we don't learn the same way? Hebrews 5, 8, and 9. Hebrews 5, 8, and 9. The Bible says, Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. That's talking about Jesus Christ. The Bible says Jesus Christ, when he walked this earth, he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. You know, until you're put under pressure, we don't really know what's on the inside. You can say you're a Christian and a committed Christian until God puts you in a, a valley of depression and we see how you really hang on. Or God puts you in some other kind of test and suffering to say, hey, let's, let's see if you're really serious. And God will use those fires of the, the, the affliction that he puts us through to heat us up and scrape off that scum and then put us on the anvil and hammer us out to make us pure. We go through that over and over and over and over. Look at Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. This will tie in with the fruit of the Spirit, but Romans chapter 5, verses 1 to 5. Suffering will produce patience. Okay? The Bible says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And he says in verse 3, And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, patience experience, experience hope, and hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. So without the tribulation, we don't get patience. And if we don't get patience, I mean that they build upon each other. I just lost my place. Hang on. So if we don't get patience, we don't get experience. If we don't have experience, we don't get hope. If we don't get hope, then we never make it to not being ashamed in the love of God. So we need tribulation because in the tribulation, God builds in us patience. And with that, it ties back into the fruit of the Spirit. And I know it says long-suffering. Galatians 5, what is it, 22 and 23? 5, 22 and 23, Galatians. We'll get over there. Galatians 5.22, Bible says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering. There's your patience. Although long-suffering goes a little bit more. Um, it goes more along with, you know, more. It goes farther than patience. It means more. Okay, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, against such there is no law. The point being that if we want, if we want to see the fruit of the Spirit in our lives, Fruit of the Spirit being character, conduct of Christ. Part of that's long-suffering. To have long-suffering, we got to have patience. Patience forms part of long-suffering. It's part of it. Long-suffering, like I said, is it, it entails, it encompasses more. 
But patience forms part of lung suffering. You've got to be patient. Well, where's the patience come from? Patience is not natural, okay? Not, it's not part of the natural man, because it's the fruit of the Spirit. Long-suffering, okay, of which is pay, part of which is patience. Long-suffering is not natural. It's, it's the fruit of the Spirit. It's not the fruit of the natural man. Most people who say they are patient are rather apathetic. They're indifferent. And we mistake ap- apathy and indifference for patience in this world. God in, in the Bible says patience comes by, uh, by tribulation. We have to suffer for God to build patience in us. And patience, being part of the fruit of the Spirit, is being part of Christ. And so if we want to be conformed to the image of Christ, we've got to have patience. You're not going to have patience without suffering. So a couple more verses here. Acts 14, 21 and 22. Acts 14, 21 and 22. I like this. Paul says, or the Bible says about Paul, when they had preached the gospel to that city and had taught many, they returned again to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith. And that, here we go, we must through much tribulation enter into the kingdom of God. So why would Paul say that? You know, if, if, if we want to enter into the kingdom of God, we're going to go through tribulation. Why? Because that's how God designed this thing, okay? That's how God built this thing. Um, I've got, I got lists of verses here, Philippians 1, 29 and 30 and 1 Thessalonians, where, you know, they were going through tribulations. Uh, 2 Timothy 1, 8. How about 2 Timothy 3, 12? This one's, a, this one's a very well known, 2 Timothy 3, 12. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. So don't be surprised. It's not a shock when we when we suffer for the Lord Jesus Christ. It shouldn't be a shock. That's how God designed it. Okay, um, one more passage. First Peter 4.12. 1 Peter 4.12. Without patience, we'll never grow in, from glory to glory in the Lord Jesus Christ, because God uses suffering to purify us, you know, like silver that's put into the, the furnace of earth. It's purified seven times. You know, you put it in, it heats up, and the scum floats to the top, and you scrape off the scum, and you put it back into the fire, and you heat it up, and more scum comes to the top, and you do that until it's it's purified. Or it hardens like steel, you know, you put steel into the fire, and you pull it out, and you hammer on it, you know? Have you ever felt like that, that, that you're going through the fire, and then all of a sudden, God pulls you out of the fire, and you think you're going to get a break. You know, you think, oh, man, I'm glad that's done. And then God pulls out his hammer, puts you on the anvil, and starts beating on you. You ever felt like that? Well, God's doing that to harden you into the instrument he wants you to be. Harden you, not like a hard heart, you know, like the Grinch, and his heart grew three sizes that day. But we're talking about being purified, being made into the instrument God wants you to be made, to be transformed and conformed to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ, a pure vessel for God's use. It takes suffering. You have to go through the fires of suffering. There's just no other way around it. Okay? So, 1 Peter 4, 12 to 16. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 to 16. Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened unto you. 
But rejoice inasmuch as you are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, you may be glad also with exceeding joy. If you be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye, for the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On their part he is evil spoken of, but on your part he is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, or as a thief, or as an evildoer, or as a busybody in other men's matters. Hello, Facebook. Yet if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on his behalf. So he says, look, beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened unto you. You know, don't think it's strange. Don't think it's something out of the norm. Don't believe the Joel Osteen false gospel that you can live your best life now and have a great house, car, and I mean, maybe you can. Maybe God will give you a wonderful life here, but I'll guarantee you're going to suffer. If you're married, you're going to suffer in your marriage. If you've got children, you're going to suffer with your children. Children, if you've got parents, holy cow, have you not suffered because of your parents? Siblings. Suffer because of your sibling? Yes. If you work, your co-workers are going to cause you suffering. And last but not least, folks, that's one of the reasons why we need to be part of a local church. Most of the suffering we will go through in this life, most of the, the hardest, most difficult and painful suffering we will go through will likely come from our Christian brothers and sisters. Why? Because we're a spiritual family, and God wants us to learn how to put up with each other, forgive each other, and love like God loves us. So yeah, we're going to suffer. So we've got four means so far. We've got one more to go. Okay, one more to go. We identify with Christ. We grow in our knowledge of the Bible. We obey what we know, and we endure suffering. We have to suffer. If we don't suffer, we don't grow. Okay, And then the last means of edification is the exchanged life. We have to live the exchanged life. I know this is another one of those kind of abstract concepts. Um, It's kind of nebulous, but let me explain it. The exchanged life, a changed life, okay? Um, We need consistency, okay? We need to be consistent in our walk with Christ. Um, Consistent. We need to... We need to be stable. We need to be solid. We need to persevere. We need to finish well what we start, okay? Consistency. We need to be firm in our in our decision to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, if you think about it, you go back to, to the means that are before. You know, you identify with Christ. You grow in your knowledge. You obey the Bible. You suffer. That's usually where we begin to we see the, the, the decisions start to waver. This is where we see the, the weakness of our commitment come in. It's in the suffering. And we end up, a lot of times, just kind of going back to our old way of life, you know? Work gets too difficult, family life's difficult, and, oh, I'm just going to do something to distract myself, and we get involved in something that's not really bad, but it's not Bible in mission. It's not, it's not the best. And so we, we waver in our consistency. I've, I've said it, you know, a lot of times, a lot of people, you know, when I go out and street preach or open air preach with these guys, you know, I've had a couple of guys ask me, you know, what does it take to be a good street preacher? What does it take to be a good street preacher? How can I do that? And I think the, the one characteristic of a good street preacher is the one characteristic that makes a good Christian. 
It's consistency. And so in this context of our fifth means of edification, you need to be, we need to be consistent in living the exchanged life. And what do I mean by exchanged life? It's, it goes back, it harkens back to the identifying with Christ. Let's look at Galatians again, Galatians 2.20. Galatians 2.20 that says, I am crucified with Christ. You see, that's my old life. And I have exchanged my life for a new one. Paul says, nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, it's not my old life, but Christ liveth in me. It's my new life. And the life which I now live in the flesh, my new life, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So the the exchanged life refers to the disciples saying, yeah, hey, look, I'm dead to myself. I'm dead to my old life. I am a new creature. I am living for Jesus Christ. Okay? First uh, Corinthians fifteen thirty one. Paul talks about you know dying daily. He makes that uh, makes that comment that phrase. First Corinthians. What did I say? First Corinthians fifteen thirty one. Paul says, "I protest by your rejoicing, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord." He says, "I die daily," and then as I die daily, then I go back to Romans twelve one. And in Romans 12, 1, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. So I die daily, and then daily I present my body a living sacrifice. It's an exchange. It's a life that, that I used to live. It's my life, my education, my career, my family, my house, my job, my stuff, me my desires, my hopes and dreams, however you want to say it, I die daily. That doesn't matter anymore. And I present my body as a living sacrifice to follow Jesus Christ and to do what he would want me to do. Living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, holy, set apart for God and for his use. And so one of the biggest characteristics, one of the most visible characteristics of a successful Christian life is consistency and and perseverance in living this exchanged life, of dying to yourself and living for the Lord Jesus Christ. And and I know, look, I know, it takes on a, a different look during the different stages of your life. You know, some some stages of your life, especially when you got little kids in the house, oh my, your time is not your own, okay? But then, you know, before and after or during college or when you're getting your first job or when you're established in your job and now you're an empty nester, I mean, it it all boils down to what is the priority in your life? And it's that identifying with Christ. If you identify with Christ and you continually strive to grow in the knowledge of the Bible and obey it, and if during those times of suffering you continue to identify with Christ, grow in the knowledge of the Bible, obey the Bible, when you come out on the other side, you will be changed, have changed from glory to glory. You'll be a little bit more like the Lord Jesus Christ. But you'll stagnate in your walk with the Lord if you don't have consistency in living that exchanged life, you'll stagnate. You'll, the, you'll, you'll stop identifying with Christ and then stop living totally for Christ. And the, the current of the river of this world will just draw you downstream. 
So if you think about it, look, you identify with Christ. Now think about all the efforts you put into this. You identify with Christ. You know, you decide to put you know, your, your affection on things above. You're going to start, you, you walk with Christ. You say, look, I am Christ and he is mine. You consider yourself a Christian and you're, you're, you're not any more part of this world. Okay, that's good. And then you start learning the scripture and you invest time and effort into learning about the Lord Jesus Christ and learning the Bible and, and what God expects of you through scripture. You obey it. You, you begin to make the adjustments and allow the Bible to correct you and, and tell you what you should stop doing and what you should start doing. And you follow Christ like his disciple. You're submitting to him and obeying him. And then you hit that stage of suffering. You know, it's like Abraham. Abraham did so well. And then God said, go sacrifice your only son. When he did well in that also, but God put him into some serious suffering to hammer out some more resolve in him, to scrape off some more scum, to prove to him that God is faithful. And so God will put you into suffering and that affliction to test your obedience, to say, hey, it's, it's easy to obey when the times are good, but how about when you're depressed or downtrodden or when you've got financial problems or family problems? How do you do there when you lose your job? Is God still real? And he'll, he'll put your determination to the test, to, to solidify it, to make it firm, okay? Now you think about all of that that you go through. That if after all of that, you turn back and say, ah, it's too much, man, I quit. And you stop striving to grow in the Lord Jesus Christ. You stop the consistent identification with Christ and the consistent learning of the Bible daily, obeying the Bible, you know, putting up with the suffering, and you quit, you turn back. You've lost it all, and you're going to have to go back and start all over again. Without consistency, there's no spiritual growth. Without consistency in living an exchanged life, there's no edification. But I mean, that's what discipleship is all about. And we're not talking about, you know, growing by leaps and bounds. We've all had those experiences where, you know, we learn the Bible, we obey the Bible, and man, it just feels like we're just jumping from one mountaintop to the next. Well, I think if you've been in Christ for any length of time, you've also been through those valleys. You know, you kind of feel like Moses during those 40 years, 40 years on the backside of a desert. You know, after he fled Egypt and before he went back to pull God's people out of slavery, he was just tending sheep on the backside of a desert. You know, he didn't hear from God. He didn't hear from the Hebrews. He didn't hear from anybody. He was just tending sheep and making babies. I mean, he was just doing, doing life. And then all of a sudden God shows up again. And I think we've all gone through those, those valleys you know, where it's it's a little disheartening, it's a little depressing, you know, it's it's hard to pray when we don't see God answering our prayers. It's hard to continue to read the Bible sometimes, you know, when when you're just when you're slogging through this this fog of depression and and um and lack of hope and whatever it is that you go through. But if there's consistency, if you get up in the mornings, you put your face in the book. No Bible, no breakfast. You read your Bible, you get something out of it, you pray about that, 
then you're identifying with Christ, you're growing in the knowledge of Christ, you can strive to obey what you know, and rest assured, if you are consistent, God will pull you out of that suffering, and you will find that he has taken you through that suffering like a furnace of earth, and he has purified you, and he has solidified your determination to walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. But you have to live a consistent life an exchanged life to die to self and to live for Christ. Okay, Ephesians 4, 22 to 24. This is what discipleship is all about. Ephesians 4, 22, that you put off concerning the former conversation, the old man, that's the old life, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind through Scripture, and that you put on the new man, there's your new life, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. So it's an exchange. You put off the old man, you, you put on the new. You, you put aside the old life, and you walk in the new life. And you have to be consistent about it. If you are not consistent, you will never grow. That's what the Bible says. Okay? So look... As we finish this up, we've looked at five means of edification. They are the five components, if you want to think about it that way, of the process of growing spiritually, the process of being conformed to the image of Christ, the process of restoring God's lost image in lost man, this process of being perfected to be made like the perfect man, whatever you want to call it, from the point you're saved— until the day you meet the Lord, either through death or the rapture, you need to grow in Jesus Christ. And that, that means you're going to grow by identifying with Christ, by growing in your knowledge of the Bible, by obeying what you know of the Bible, by making it through the suffering. You have to make it through the suffering. Suffering is a normal part of the Christian life. We have to suffer to grow in Christ's likeness, and then living the exchanged life with consistency. So how can we apply that? As we're finishing up here, how can we apply that? Well, there's two ways. We need to be disciples and make disciples. And so ask yourself, how am I doing in this process, this process of edification? Am I identifying with Christ? Do I identify with Christ uh, consistently, intentionally, daily? You ask yourself, am I learning the Bible? Am I intentional about learning the Bible? Am I constant in my reading and study of the Bible? Am I systematic in my study of the Bible? Am I following a system, some sort of system of, of reading it uh, you know, daily? Is there something that I'm doing to learn the Bible? Am I obeying the Bible? Am I applying, intentionally applying what I'm learning? I'm serious. The best way to do that is through a, you know, a, a quiet time, a time alone in the Bible uh, during the, the first part of your day. Just read the Bible. Find something that, that in that passage that you read. Write it down. Pray about it. And then go do it. Okay? And then you need to ask yourself, you know, am I, am I holding up well during the suffering? If you're in a time of suffering, a time of trial, a time of difficulty or tribulation— have you thrown in the towel? Have you just quit? Or do you still identify with Christ, learn the Bible, and obey the Bible? 
Are you waiting for God to pull you out of the suffering? If you're waiting for God to pull you out of the suffering, are you living an exchanged life with consistency? Is there consistency in your obedient walk with the Lord in Scripture? Or or is there inconsistency? You know, some days you're in, some days you're out. Some weeks are better than other weeks. You need to shore that up, okay? And maybe, maybe one of these areas hits you more where you have a need than the other areas. Well, focus on that. Pray about it. Do something very simple. You could simple or do something practical to begin to shore that up. Now, in our next lesson, we're going to take a closer look at the goals of edification, because like we've said all along, we need to be conscious of the means. This is how God will take us through this process to grow in Christ, okay? But there's also goals that we need to focus on, and if we focus our effort on the goals, we will see that God takes us through the means and conforms us to the image of Christ. And so once we, once we see the, the goals of edification in the, in the next lesson, in the next episode, we're going to have a better idea of what we can do practically to grow in the Lord Jesus Christ. So thanks for listening to my podcast. I hope you understood it. There's uh, some notes on this on my on my website, and again, um, I'll put the I'll put the link in the in the notes for the description of the podcast. But my goal, my aim, and my desire is to simply give out a little bit of what I've been learning. And this study on discipleship is something that I learned a little while ago, trying to put it together, put it together in Spanish, and and give it out in English, because I've got a desire to to do something. In Kansas City, you know, I'm sitting here in a suburb of Kansas City. I've got a decent church I go to, but folks, we need to do more. I don't know when the Lord's coming back. Paul was expecting the Lord in his day, and so we ought to expect the Lord in our day, and and even more with the passage of time. And so I don't know when the Lord's coming back, but I don't want to just waste my life sitting around. I want to do something, and and man, I want to do something with other believers. And so if you got something out of this, um. I'm glad because, you know, we need like-minded believers. We need believers who believe the Bible and want to do the Bible. So thanks for listening. I hope you'll come back. We're going to be finishing this up. Got one more lesson on the philosophy of discipleship. Like I said, we're going to look at the, the goals of edification in our next lesson. I think we'll be able to get through them all. It's not, a, it's not a difficult thing to see. There's four goals. They're very simple. This deals with our commitment, commitment to God and, and the Word of God and what He tells us to do. And then after that, I want, to take a, I want to go back and take a little bit of a closer look at the Great Commission, because that's gonna, it's, it's, it's going to be fun to see. It's going to be fun to use that as kind of a bridge to get into more doctrine on how the Bible is put together. Because a lot of people just grab the Great Commission and run willy-nilly with it and don't ever take it into context. And what they do is read the Pauline doctrine that we get in the epistles back into the Gospels. When at the end of the Gospels, when God gave the Great Commission, Paul wasn't even saved. 
Okay, God had not given the revelation that God gave to Paul while, while the Great Commission was in effect at the end of the Gospels. And so there's a whole bunch of anachronistic errors that happen. And so I want to take a little bit of time, I want to go back to the Great Commission, and I want to start tying in some things in what I would like to call some cumulative context, to start looking at the Great Commission from a biblical context and not from a church Christian context, which results in a ton of anachronisms. And so we're going to finish up the, the study uh, discipleship. We're going to finish it up next time with our, our, our goals of edification. And then it's kind of going to be a little bridge to get us over into what I want to study next. We're going to look at the Great Commission and the anachronisms that people commit uh, when they just grab the Great Commission and don't take it in its proper biblical context. So thanks for listening. I hope you'll come back. Shoot me an email if you've got anything to say. I'd love to hear from you. Thanks for spending your time listening to my podcast, Theology 101. Simple is better, and it's just not that difficult to learn the Bible so we can do what it tells us. You can find the rest of my studies in English out on my website, theology101.net. And if you do Spanish, tengo más de 15 años de estudios bíblicos disponibles en mi sitio web, teologia101.net. If you'd like to contact me, there's a contact page on my website. You're also more than welcome to visit me any Sunday that you wish. My church information is also out on my website. Remember what Nicholas von Zinzendorf always said, preach the gospel, die, be forgotten. Learn the Bible, do what it tells you. And come back for more Theology 101.